And now, The Mentors, one of the most popular and unique shows on the radio today. Each week, one of our four remarkable CEOs, including Tom Lord, John Phillips, and Rick Brutico, will challenge your thinking about life and work. Sought after for their success and for consistently putting people first, treating employees and customers with respect, and helping others succeed, now these same CEOs, the mentors, want to help you achieve your highest level of profitability, success, and personal fulfillment in life, at work, and in business. Now, here's your mentor. Welcome. I'm Tom Laurie, and I will be your host today. Thank you for joining us. Today, our guest mentor is Spencer Christian. Many of you may remember him from Good Morning America, where he served as weatherman and Emmy Award-winning journalist for over 13 years. Since 1999, he has been the weather forecaster on San Francisco's ABC7. Spencer is with us today to share his journey as a reporter, sportscaster, talk show host, and weather forecaster. He grew up with meager beginnings to a career that took him to national stardom and fueled a gambling addiction problem that cost him his family, his house, and millions. His story is one of rebounding, recovery, and regaining hope and happiness. Welcome, Spencer, and thank you for sharing your time with us. Oh, thank you. Let's, let's get started and tell us about your parents and growing up in Virginia. Uh, Tom, my parents were remarkable people. They um, uh, were both from large, poor families. They both grew up in, in rural Virginia. Uh, during the Depression, uh, they both had to drop out of uh, school before finishing high school to go to work to help support the younger siblings, which I think was common among large, poor families during the Depression. And they faced um, even greater indignities in the old racially segregated South than I did. I was born in 1947. It wasn't until I was about 20 that civil rights legislation was being widely enforced. But it was even tougher for, for them. My dad was part of the... Uh, generation of young African-American men during World War II who went to defend freedoms abroad, which they could not freely exercise when they came home. Yet, despite that, my parents um, were people of profound faith, uh, read the Bible to me, prayed with me, and uh, they were my, my, my mentors in my, my walk of faith. Uh, but they also instilled positive aspirational values in my brother and me, and uh, they were great believers in the American dream, and they invested all their hopes and dreams and prayers in the in the hope that their kids would have a, a better better life. And you tell, a, and he has a book out that we'll put on the website, uh, You Bet Your Life. Uh, you talk a lot about growing up in Virginia and the importance of the teachers you had along the oh, way. I had some remarkable teachers, too. Uh and this, this is in, in the context that you're dealing, again, with this race, racially segregated South. That's correct. And That's how correct. important these teachers were for you and your formation. Absolutely, they were. The nearest school to my house was uh, about a half mile away, uh, but that was the white school because everything was segregated in those days. So we were bused about uh, three and a half miles away to the to the black school, but the, the uh, teachers at that school uh, all of them were really uh, committed to teaching certain uh, important, imparting certain values to their students. Uh, they taught us discipline, and uh, they wanted us to be achievers. And so, I, I can recall so many teachers who uh, reinforced that achievement ethic that my parents had had uh, begun to build at home. Uh, one who stands out is my third and fourth grade teacher, Mrs. Montague. She was a, a rigid disciplinarian, but she also made the learning experience fun. Then my first male teacher was. Well, so how does a disciplinarian <laughs> make the learning experience fun? <laughs> by she did it by rewarding uh, your effort. Uh, to achieve. So if you didn't do your homework at all, you were punished. You couldn't go out for recess. Uh, she would she would point you out and make you sit in the corner. But if you made some effort, even if your effort wasn't the, the strongest effort, she would reward that, give you a little extra time at recess or uh, give you less homework. It sounds a little bit like <laughs> a teacher I had in fifth grade, Sister Fidelia. 
And she beat the heck out of you. <laughs> but if you did well, she wouldn't. You right, know, that's, something like that. That's right? the reward. <laughs> so go on. You were talking about Mrs. Montague. She oh, was an interesting lady. Yeah, she was She was fascinating. But but she always encouraged us, even if you made a modest effort. I always made more than a modest effort because I always wanted to be number one. But even if you made just a modest effort, she would, um, re- she would encourage that and say something supportive and point out to the rest of the students, that you were trying hard to to grasp this new concept or to to uh, to, to learn the, how to solve the next problem, Mr. Johnson. But come back. Yeah, yeah so sure. You, you also mentioned in your book she did more than just the the the, the schoolwork. Yeah. You talk a little bit about uh, how you present yourself, oh, she, which is so yeah. important, isn't it? How we present ourselves to people. Yeah. I, having come from my parents' generation, which, as I mentioned, is a generation that faced more indignities than my generation did. She was from that generation that that knew the importance of presenting yourself in a respectable way uh, to the public, you know, with with dignity and with with self-respect. Um, she she was teaching us as young African American kids in the 1950s uh, to not conform to the stereotype, uh, not conform to the the manner of of behavior or the way of talking that those who might be racist would expect from you that, that that was part of that stereotype. So she wanted us to break that mold, break that stereotype and be individuals first. And she taught from what I remember about a firm handshake, standing <sighs> tall and using proper English. She was a stickler about proper English. She said, when you talk to people, look them in the eye, give a firm handshake, uh, demonstrate, uh, demonstrate strength uh, not just physical strength, but strength of character and dignity, uh, and confidence, uh, poise. She was, and and yes, she. <laughs> uh, my parents laid the foundation for proper use of the language at home, even though they weren't uh, gra- grammarian uh, grammarians or, or grammar experts. But they understood that you know you don't say ain't and you, and you don't use a lot of colloquialisms. You know, use proper English. Mrs. Montague reinforced that, and she also uh, was was um, concerned about about formality. She wanted to be a, she wanted us to say yes Mrs. Montague and no Mrs. Montague when we answered a question as opposed to just yes or no or yes ma'am. Um, so those things may seem a bit extreme now but in, in today's world but that was the kind of discipline and structure that my peers and I needed in our circumstances. Well it may seem extreme in our culture today but on the other hand it's always impressed me when kids, young kids, regardless of their background, uh, show a proper demeanor. It stands out. It becomes exceptional. It, it does. Rather, I mean, we've gotten pretty sloppy. We're here in Silicon Valley, and I can tell you in the world of business, <laughs> things have gotten pretty sloppy around <laughs> yes. how people present themselves as well. They certainly have. I, I can see that in my office. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, we're going to go to break, and when we return, we're going to continue talking with our guest mentor, Spencer Christensen about his uh, journey and talk a little bit more about the teachers he had in his early life. This is Tom Laurie, and this is the Mentors Radio. Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, the inventor of MyPillow. And like all of you out there, I had problems sleeping. Pillows would go flat. I would flip-flop all night long. I would wake up with a sore neck, maybe a headache, or feel like I needed a nap even though I slept eight hours. When I invented MyPillow, I wanted it to where you could move the patented fill to give you the exact support you need as an individual, regardless of sleep position. MyPillow will get you into that deep sleep faster, and you will stay there longer. It's not about how much time we spend in bed. It's about how much of that quality sleep we get. I do all of my own manufacturing right here in the United States. I have a 10-year warranty. You can wash and dry my pillow, and I give you a 60-day money-back guarantee so you have nothing to lose. And here's my best offer ever. MyPillow is now offering 50% off their four-pack special plus free shipping. Go to MyPillow.com or call 1-800-890-6632, 1-800-890-6632, and use promo code MENTORS. That's 50% off plus free shipping. Don't delay. Order now. A lifetime ago, young naval aviator Tom McGuire took the oath of allegiance to support and defend the U.S. Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Now a San Francisco PD homicide inspector, McGuire hadn't thought about the oath in years, but that was all about to change. A famous local newspaper columnist had been murdered. 
from Aguirre, there's an eerie chill of recognition about it, hearkening back to his days as a prisoner of war after being shot down in North Vietnam. A lifetime ago, another young naval pilot took that same oath. Also shot down in battle, he too spent time as a POW, same camp as Maguire. After 30 years, their lives were about to cross once again. But how and why after all these years? Multi-award winning mystery author Dennis Kohler's The Oath can be found online or for an autographed copy at oathbook.org. That's oathbook.org. Oathbook.org. And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Tom Laurie, and today I have Spencer Christian as my guest mentor. You may remember him from his 13 years on Good Morning America. For those of us in Northern California, he is our top-rated weatherman on San Francisco's ABC7. We are uh, talking to uh, Spencer about some of the teachers he had when he was uh, growing up in outside of Richmond, Virginia. So we were talking about Mrs. Montague, but you had a couple of other teachers that were pretty important in your life as well. I, I did, Tom. Uh, there was Mr. Johnson, who was the first male teacher I encountered. He was my seventh grade teacher. He was pretty amazing because as a seventh grade teacher, he was teaching all of the subjects, math, English, history, social studies. Um he didn't have to be as rigid a uh, disciplinarian as Mrs. Montague because he just commanded more respect because of his maleness. <laughs> you know, little kids, uh, 11, 12 years old, look up to this big, strong man, and they're much less likely to misbehave. I'm, I'm sorry that's how it is. Uh, it, it's a gender bias, but um, we're much less likely to misbehave uh, when Mr. Johnson told us, gave us orders than we were uh, some of the more easygoing female teachers. But Mr. Johnson had this wonderful personality. He was uh, outgoing and engaging. He had a great sense of humor. Uh, he was he demanded um, that we do our work. I mean, he, he demanded excellence. He didn't let us get away with anything. But he would almost make a do a performance in the classroom when he was teaching literature, for example, uh, to really engage the students in the learning process and make us interested in the books we were supposed to read. Uh, he, he was extraordinary and a great role model, by the way. And you mentioned uh, also you took a trip up to New Jersey and you learned something on that trip that was important to you and probably set the stage for your life going forward as well, I would think. You're talking about those family vacations, getting yes. out of the South. When I was, uh, the summer that I turned 13, 1960, uh, my my parents decided we were going to do a little family vacation. We had never traveled farther beyond uh, the town we grew up in than Washington, D.C., until this point. My dad had a brother who lived in East Orange, New Jersey, and we went up to uh, stay at my Uncle Carrie's house uh, for a week. And it was the first time that my brother and I had been outside the South, uh, out, outside, uh, away from racial segregation, from signs telling you which bathroom you could and could not go into and which water fountain you could and could not drink from. And I remember when we got north, of, when we got into Washington, D.C., that was the first feeling of being free. Uh, if we wanted to stop and go in a restaurant and get a hamburger, we could. We knew we'd be served. And then we got up to Maryland and up to uh, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and uh, it was almost like a dream. We felt literally free for my brother and I for the first time in our lives. Uh, and we enjoyed that vacation. We were able to go to little uh, family restaurants and, and eat and with <laughs> everybody, with all the, the multicultural people who were around. There were whites. There, there, were, there were people who were uh, very identifiable as certain um, ethnic groups, Italians and Irish and Jewish people. Um, Anyhow, uh, as that week was ending and we were preparing to drive back to Virginia, my parents and my brother and I began to feel a little bit depressed because we knew we were going back to uh, this, this system of rigid racial segregation. Um, and we, you know, we'd have to well, – our freedoms were limited. So as we got closer and closer to Virginia, we became more and more depressed on the, on the drive back. And my brother and I did this, this thing called the countdown to segregation uh, as we got – farther and farther south and closer and closer to Virginia, we began to feel sadder and sadder. But 
my parents reminded us, but we're going to go back next year and do this vacation again. So once we got back to our regular lifestyle in Virginia, we just started looking forward to the next summer trip to New Jersey, and we counted down the months to the next trip. Just hard to imagine living yeah. with all of that. Uh, this is Tom Laurie. You are listening to the Mentors Radio Show. Today we have ABC's Spencer Christian, and we're talking about his surviving Jim Crow, racism, hurricane chasing, and gambling. So you have an interesting background, and then you got started in broadcasting. What yeah. inspired you? Uh, I was in college in the late 1960s when uh, our country was going through a lot of profound change. Much of it was positive. The uh, civil rights uh, legislation was being enforced. Those racial barriers were coming down. Um, I started working in political campaigns in the late 1960s, uh, worked briefly in, in Robert Kennedy's campaign for the Democratic nomination I, I for did president. Too. Did you really? Yeah, oh back in 1968. 68, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that June 5th was a tragic, tragic I, day, wasn't it? Yeah. It was a very long day, yeah. waiting to hear whether or not he had passed or because yeah. he was living it. Yeah. yeah. So, so heartbreaking. And, and But anyhow, um, so all of a sudden in the late 60s, we saw all this change in the civil rights movement, the women's movement, uh, Vietnam War protest. Uh, students were involved in social and political causes. And uh, I, I found it an exciting time, and I was so fascinated by the way the news media covered the events of that era. I decided I wanted to become a journalist. Now, I had no interest in broadcasting at that time. I was an English major, so I chose journalism as my minor, and I envisioned writing for the New York Times or the Washington Post. But the first break I got in the business, in, in communication, was as a television news reporter in Richmond, Virginia, near the place where I had grown up, the capital of the Confederacy, 1971, and I was about the, I was the third person of color ever to be seen on a local newscast in Richmond, Virginia. Quite an achievement. And then you had a mentor while you were there that led you to uh, what became your real your real uh, gift, I guess, as uh, in the weather and everything else. Yeah, I think you're right about that. Uh, the news director at that station was a guy named Doug Hill. Doug Hill was the person who hired me. He was just like the, the character Lou Grant from the old uh, Mary Tyler Moore TV show. Uh, he had a gruff exterior, but he was a, a kind-hearted, thoughtful compassionate person. So Doug was my mentor. He saw something in me that he liked, and he offered me this job as a, as a news reporter, put me on the air my first day on the job, and um, and he encouraged me along the way. He offered constructive criticism. Uh, he was the news director who hired the first black reporter in Richmond, Virginia, uh, four years prior to my going on the air. So he had uh, he, he was a trailblazer, someone who wasn't afraid to you know, to break down the barriers. Um, and, and he was a great journalist. He was an old-fashioned newspaper man from South Dakota. So he, he was serious about the content of our newscast, but he also encouraged us to reveal our personalities. So I had been on the air for about two years doing news when one day Doug came to me in a panic and said our longtime weatherman had quit unexpectedly. So Doug asked me if I would fill in on weather for two weeks, and that led to... Uh, <laughs> stations in bigger markets uh, recognizing me and, and making me offers. And in a short time after I began doing weather in Richmond, I ended up in New York with WABC. And you um, mentioned to me that weather is one of the most watched. I, I know in the Bay Area, it's, <laughs> it's one of the big uh, things that people turn on the news for, right? It's, it's not just being a news, but this yeah. is a very important role. And you and I mm -hmm. talked also about uh, some weathermen we've known in the past that are celebrities, but weather is really an important uh, subject, isn't it? It's, it's a critical subject. It's the one uh, element of a newscast that virtually every viewer is interested in. Some people don't care much about political news or the economic report or sports or other news content, but everyone's life is affected by weather uh, people determine how they're going to dress for the day. Uh, they make travel plans, recreation plans, vacation plans based on the weather. So it's it, probably the most popular element in a, in a local newscast. And I've noticed it used to be the weather was like two-thirds of the way in after they did the news. <laughs> but today it's like every segment that every segment starts 
maybe with a news story, and then it goes right to weather. But it, yeah. in, a, in an hour news show, you may see five or six segments on weather. That's exactly right, and especially during periods of active weather, as we had last week. Uh, I led the newscast uh, each day in each time slot last week with uh, a quick recap of what was happening that day with the radar image and a little uh, co- computer animation to show what we could expect over the next 12 to 24 hours. And then I'd come back the following segment and do a three-minute report. Then the next segment, I'd do a two-and-a-half-minute report. <laughs> so weather's a big deal. So for those people that are not in the Bay Area over the last week, just to give you some idea, up in the Sierras, which are about 50, 60 miles away from here, they had over 100 inches of snow uh, throughout Northern California. So we're going to be going uh, to break again. We're talking with uh, Spencer Christian. We're going to talk about his journey as a journalist, weatherman, and his double life. This is Tom Laurie, and this is The Mentors Radio. Americans have been traveling down the health insurance highway for decades. But lately, it's been taking us to places we don't want to go. For Christians, it's hard to know which road to take. Or is it? Samaritan Ministries provides a different direction, a biblical path for their members to pray for each other and share financially in each other's medical needs. This idea that Samaritan has adopted from the book of Acts should permeate all parts of our lives, not just health sharing. We, as a body of believers, are living out New Testament Christianity. This is what God intended for the church. Looking for a new direction for your health care? Join the hundreds of thousands of Samaritan Ministries members who are faithfully sharing millions of dollars in medical needs each month. For more information, visit us online at SamaritanMinistries.org. That's SamaritanMinistries.org. Are you struggling with how to practice your faith at work? Get answers to your questions and much more on the Catholic Business Journal, focusing on careers and business with a Catholic perspective. That's catholicbusinessjournal.biz. The Catholic Business Journal, generating a return on principle. catholicbusinessjournal.biz. catholicbusinessjournal.biz. Do you want to make a living and live a meaningful life? Is it possible to be financially successful while making a positive difference in the world? Chris Lowney, author of the best-selling business classic, Heroic Leadership, and popular speaker on topics of leadership, corporate ethics, and decision-making, shares with you his 10 simple daily habits to building a better life and world, and how to implement them in his new book, Make Today Matter. Some of these habits include don't win the race, give away your sneakers, be more grateful, and control the controllables. Make Today Matter is a 2018 Distinguished Favorite Book in the Independent Press Awards and makes the perfect gift for anyone in a time of transition, graduating high school or college, beginning a new job, or entering retirement. No matter where you are in life, it is never too late to make today matter. Available everywhere books are sold. When a prospect like Sarah visits your website, will she engage with your content? Will your message be friendly? Will it be informative? Most important, will it build trust, like one friend to another? If not, go to betterwebsales.com and contact Catherine Andes. Catherine can freshen your website, plus drive more traffic with SEO, helping you turn visitors into customers. Start today. Go now to betterwebsales.com. That's betterwebsales.com. And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Tom Laurie, and today I have Spencer Christian as my guest mentor. Uh, You may remember him from his 13 years on Good Morning America, and for those of us in Northern California, he is our top-rated weatherman on San Francisco's ABC7. We've been talking about his journey, and we're now going to talk a little bit about the road to Good Morning America. Ah, yes. (laughs) Well, you know, I mentioned that uh, it was when I started doing weather that I began to get wider recognition, and stations and networks uh, in larger markets than Richmond, Virginia, began making me offers. So by the mid to late 1970s, I had ended up uh, working for um, WABC-TV in New York, the the local ABC affiliate, and I was doing weather. 
And uh, I've been on the air for just a short time, summer of 1977, when Good Morning America, this new popular morning program, uh, asked me to come on and fill in for someone you may know from growing up in Chicago, John Coleman, who oh, was yes. the, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's quite a character. <laughs> he was quite a character, and he was the uh, the first uh, weatherman on Good Morning America. So I started filling in for John Coleman, and for many years, uh, from, through the late '70s into the early '80s, I did that in addition to my regular job on the local news. And finally, in the mid '80s. Uh, I became the the regular uh, everyday uh, weather person on Good Morning America, and great one of the many great things about that job was that the executives who hired me um, recognized and appreciated my interest in a wide range of topics, my my journalistic interest. So not only did I do the weather every day, but I did a wide range of reporting assignments, uh, interviews, some hard news interviews, or sometimes. Uh, feature human interest stories, and I covered lots of natural disasters. <laughs> I've been in 14 hurricanes and survived. <laughs> well, you also tell a story about uh, going from Canada to Key West. Oh. <laughs> and uh, you're not somebody that enjoys the cold weather. That's why you're in California now. But uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Okay. Well, the producers at Good Morning America um, were the ones who would come up with ideas for where to send Spencer next. And, and they knew they all knew that I did not like cold weather at all because whenever I was in a cold weather situation, I was shivering on the air. So they came up with the idea of this uh, Spencer's North to South adventure starting in uh, uh, Quebec City uh, during Winter Festival. It was, uh, I guess it was February 1996, I believe it was. And um, so the first day of my, my trek from north to south, I was out in um, frigid conditions. The wind chill factor was minus 70. <laughs> that, not 17, minus 70. Then the next day, I, I was in Killington, Vermont. It was also minus 70 there, the wind chill factor was. And it was a painful experience. So as we started to go farther south, I thought, well, surely it'll get better now. The next stop was Washington, D.C. Well, that day that we were in Washington, I think it was a Wednesday, the temperature was 13 degrees. <laughs> so I was still in painfully cold conditions. The next stop was Savannah, Georgia. And I thought, well, Georgia certainly must be warm. We got there, and I forget the exact temperature, but it was the coldest um, February day on record in Savannah. <laughs> So we finally got down to Key West, Florida, the final stop. And although it wasn't very warm, I think the temperature was around 56 or 59 degrees, cool by Key West standards, but it was it was tropical to me, considering what I, I had been through. Yeah, that's... <laughs> I, we love Key West, so I'm, I know. This is Tom Laurie. You're listening to The Mentors Radio. Today we have ABC's Spencer Christian, and we're talking about his surviving Jim Crow racism hurricane chasing, and gambling. So on Good Morning America, you are part of a family in many ways. And for people that are interested in a career such as yours on national TV, what you've had, there are some people there that were really helpful to you. What, What advice would you have for somebody that's looking at a career and thinking about something that uh, really is uh, as visible as what you were doing. Yeah. Well, first, I would I would encourage anyone who wants to be in broadcast communication uh, or, or in, in communication, period, to have an interest in a wide range of topics, have intellectual curiosity. There's so many people who look at this business I'm in and they see what they perceive as the glamour. Uh, and so many young people want to you know come into the business and be recognized and become famous. But... Beyond that, have a purpose. Uh, I was interested in in news coverage and journal, print journalism as a college student, and I was interested in history and politics and uh, the arts and and all of those things. And, I, and most of my peers in my early years in the business had that wide range of interests. So when you when you're when you have that kind of intellectual curiosity, you are uh, you have a thirst for knowledge. You want to learn, and then if you are fortunate enough to get one of these jobs in as a reporter, then you have a, a base of knowledge, a, a foundation of knowledge from which to uh, craft your reporting. And that's been very helpful to me. But beyond having intellectual curiosity, I would say, you know, develop your communication skills, develop your writing skills, and don't be afraid to let your personality show through. Uh, don't try too hard to copy someone else's style, but recognize what your strengths are and what your gifts are and and cultivate those gifts so you can you can uh, 
um, carve out a unique identity. Yeah, that, that's that's great advice. It, it, it seems like a pretty tough business, though, being on uh, TV, particularly national TV. Uh, you see people come and go, and uh, they more recently it seems like there may may not they may be a family on air, but the off air they're not so much a family. But there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes too, isn't there? So much, Tom. I've been very fortunate throughout my entire career. Now in my 48th year, I have almost always worked in a situation where. The people with whom I worked most closely were like a second family. We all did get along very well. For example, during my years at Good Morning America, Charlie Gibson, Joan London, and I were were close friends. We, we really cared deeply about each other and had relationships off the air as well as on the air. Uh, the same is true with the people uh, who are my colleagues now at, at ABC7 in, in, uh, in the Bay Area. Um, but... I have been in situations briefly where the people who worked together on the air did not have any warm relationship off the air, and it eventually damaged the relationship on the air. It, began to, it would begin to show through. Uh, because viewers, especially regular viewers who tune in the same program every day, can, they can tell who you are at your core. They know whether you're a phony or whether you're a real person. Yeah. Now, you met a lot of famous people in your for, with Good Morning America, President Carter, you entered, you hosted his, uh, his party, 75th birthday party. Right. And you also had quite a relationship with Muhammad Ali. Yes, I did. Uh, I oh, first met Muhammad Ali in uh, 1980. I was uh, hosting a, an early morning uh, program at WABC that followed Good Morning America. And his wife at that time was a former fashion model named Veronica Porsche. She used to come on our show and do beauty and fashion tips. And Muhammad Ali would always accompany her. So the first time she came on the show, he invited me to go out with them for lunch. And we were sitting there, and he was trying to make a point to me about being a prisoner of his own celebrity. He, he said, uh, do you ever take your kids down to the local park to play ball? I said, sure. He said, do you take your kids to uh, Disney World? I said, yeah, absolutely. He said, do, do you go to the movies together? I said, yeah. He said, you know, I can't do any of that. And suddenly I realized what he meant. When he steps out the door, everybody just kind of converges on him. Um, he said in order to enjoy a movie, he'd have to rent out an entire theater just to take his family. And going to Disney World would be impossible because he would need someone around him to keep people from grabbing him his arm all along the way. So I began to appreciate the fact that at his level of celebrity, you're really a prisoner of that celebrity. But he also, here he was, uh, arguably one of the greatest boxers of all time and arguably the most famous person on the planet at that time in his life. He was a fan of mine. He was happy to see uh, an African-American man in a position like mine who carried himself with what Ali considered uh, a certain measure of dignity. It made him proud of me uh, as a representative. Mrs. Montague <laughs> comes into play, right? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So I found that deeply touching. It, so our relationship carried on over the next 15 or more years. Whenever I would see him at a celebrity event, a sports event, a private VIP party, he would always come over and give me a big hug and we'd carve out some private time. We're going to go to break. And when we come back, I want to come back to Muhammad Ali. You told me a very interesting story about fighting things. Oh, yes. And let's finish on that, and then we'll talk about your double life. We're talking with Spencer Christian and his uh, journey as a weatherman and his double life is coming up. This is Tom Laurie, and this is The Mentors Radio. In classrooms across America, students are not learning the same history you did. Last year, McGraw-Hill apologized for calling slave trade immigration. And a popular world history textbook devotes a full chapter to Islam and Muhammad, but only a few sentences to Christianity and Christ. Recent federal testing shows students are far worse in knowledge of U.S. history than in math. Only 12% of high school students are proficient in U.S. history. Today's history textbooks not only fail to engage, they favor political correctness over true history. This is a serious problem that has a far-reaching impact on our culture and our future. What are your kids and grandkids learning? At CatholicTextbookProject.com, you'll find fresh, accurate, engaging history textbooks. Used in Catholic schools in more than 60 dioceses, these textbooks are highly praised by all, even award-winning secular university professors. Go to CatholicTextbookProject.com to find out why. 
Ah, my health insurance is killing me. Well, it was killing me, too. That's why I just switched to a non-insurance ministry. It only costs $320 per month for my family of seven, and it's even less for couples and singles. Wow. It's a solid organization, been around 17 years. We have the dependability of a proven method, but it's different. It's Christian-based, so we don't have to pay for non-Christian practices like abortions. Plus, we can choose our own doctors. What is it? Samaritan Ministries. SamaritanMinistries.org. That's easy to remember. SamaritanMinistries.org. And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Tom Laurie, and today we're talking with Spencer Christian, and we're talking about his career in journalism, weather, and his double life. We just finished up talking about uh, Muhammad Ali, and I want to come back that, uh, for one more uh, comment about Muhammad. You were, you were talking to me at, uh, when we were off the air about Muhammad Ali and fighting and mm-hmm. fighting things. And a lot, there's a big lesson there for all of us, isn't there? I, I think there is. You know, uh, in his early years as a, as a boxer, he was the, the showman, the promoter who was boastful and had all this, this braggadocio about him. Uh, that was all to generate publicity and sell tickets and generate interest in his fights. But he, he told me that he reached a point as a fighter where he he got tired of beating people up. Uh, he was he needed to fight for something more than just uh, dominance in the ring, uh, and th- that's when he began to get involved in social causes and, uh, and you know took a stance against the war in Vietnam. Uh, started uh, speaking out more about racial justice and things of that nature. But he said uh, he he would realize when he got in the ring against most of his opponents that he could dominate them and toy around with them. And he just he didn't want to just beat people up anymore. And that wasn't what he wanted to be known for. He wanted to be known for. Uh, his his concerns about humanity. Now, you know, you did work with Bill Murray, Duke Schneider, <laughs> Sidney Poitier. Yeah. You were Sven, Sweden's <laughs> Queen Sylvia. Uh, that's right. When you think about all these people that you, you met, and I'm sure there's different threads for each one, but is there any common thread between these people that were really uh, well-known that you met uh, along the way? That's a really great question. Great question. Um, and the more I think about it, the, probably the more answers I'll come up with. But yes, there was a common thread. Uh, there was a, um, a certain measure of dignity um, and um, accessibility. Uh, you know, there are many people in the public eye who become very famous who are not accessible. You might meet them and they'll give you the handshake, but you get the feeling they're looking beyond you and not looking at you. But in in the connections I made with people like Jimmy Carter and and, the, and Queen Sylvia from Sweden and uh, Muhammad Ali and Bill Murray and all these amazing people, Tom Hanks, uh, I got to know during my career. They all would, would look you in the eye and make you feel like they were really talking to you and, and they wanted to hear your story. They were interested in you. They weren't just there to let you worship them. Um, and that taught me a lesson about humility because they all, all these famous, accomplished people had a measure of humility that was very obvious. Now, I do some work with people that are out of work through a ministry in my church, mm-hmm. and this is an important lesson, uh, just listening, and listening to other people, because when people are out of work, they're anxious to get the next job, and sometimes they look beyond the person they're talking to yeah. because they have a goal of getting a job rather than building a relationship. Right. And what you're talking about with these people who we see as celebrities, they're focused on you and nourishing a relationship. That's true. Very important it's lesson. A, it is totally now, important. Now, you uh, uh, had a double life, didn't you? I did. I did indeed. In the late 1970s, when casino gambling came to Atlantic City, which was a short drive from New York where I worked, uh, I was just fascinated. I couldn't wait to get down and see what the casino experience was like. I had played late-night poker with the guys in New York after the 11 o'clock news, and that had become a bit of an an obsession. Excuse me. But I didn't – I had no idea at that time that I was developing an addiction or uh, a compulsive kind of behavior. So I started going to the casinos in Atlantic City, and uh, after each trip, I couldn't wait to get back. Whether I had won or lost money, that wasn't uh, the driving force. The driving force was that feeling of excitement, that rush of adrenaline. 
And it led to my becoming, uh, to my playing the games I played, blackjack and craps, at higher and higher stakes. And very soon I became what is known as a high roller, which means the casinos will invite you and uh, have you bring your family and friends along and give you the luxury suites, uh, comped, you know, you don't have to pay. They'll send the limo to pick you up. They'll pay your, reimburse your first class airfare if you fly to Las Vegas. You get... Uh, front row seats at all the headliner shows. You get to eat in the gourmet restaurants for free because they know you're giving them action in the casinos. So within a very short time between about 1978 and around 1983-84, I had developed such a severe gambling problem and had lost so much money that I was beginning to feel this shame and guilt. Um, I was borrowing money from my various credit lines to cover my losses. And finally, in 1984, uh, I had fallen behind on federal income taxes to the point that the IRS uh, uh, took the, the home that I lived in, uh, seized it, and sold it in a public auction and forced me to move my family into a, a rental property. Um, and you would think that would have been a big enough wake-up call for me to get control of myself. But I, I couldn't gain control. I wasn't ready to gain control. I, I laid off gambling for a short time, made a little bit of a financial recovery after settling with the IRS, and got right back into it again. This is Tom Laurie. You're listening to The Mentors Radio. Today we have ABC's Spencer Christian, and we're talking about his double life. So, so you, you were known as a shooter. Yes, that's and right. You're also, um, you learned a lot about moving money around. Yes, you, yes. And when you, when you stop and think about it, you had nothing to gain, really. You were making a seven-figure salary, yeah. living well, meeting lots of people, and everything to lose. What What do you think, as you've gone through, and at and, and 84, that may have happened, but it took you years. Oh, more, many more right? years. Yeah, many more years. When, 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 when did you, you went through. Uh, two bankruptcies. Two bankruptcies. Yeah. You lost your first marriage. Yeah. Uh, so you went through quite a bit. Uh, what was it that finally, uh, what caused you to hit bottom? They talk about hitting bottom. Yeah. Well, I'll just, let me try to say quickly that over that 30-year period when I had this gambling problem, there were so many other things in my life that gave me joy and, and offered some semblance of, of balance. I, I loved my family. I loved my kids. I loved my wife. They gave me great joy. I have a great relationship with the Lord. I, I, I talk to God every day. Um, even, even during these times when I was uh, behaving so irresponsibly and so recklessly, I was in prayer every day. And I loved my work. I loved my job. Gambling, I think, was my escape. I, I haven't quite figured the psychology of it out yet, but I think because in my early life, in my childhood, my early adult life, I was always the good kid, did all the right things, uh, didn't break curfew, called my parents as if I was going to be late, stayed in line at school. I was the good kid. And when I got into those casinos, I felt like I could misbehave. I could be the bad kid. And there was something about that that was almost like a narcotic. I enjoyed the that freedom. I put in quotes because it truly wasn't freedom. I was not free at all. But anyhow, um, you were asking me the rock bottom. Rock bottom occurred uh, probably around 2010. Uh, I, at that point, I had moved away from the high roller life in the casinos to uh, playing high stakes poker. Uh, it's still gambling, but it's in poker you you are playing against the other players, not against the house. And I thought maybe this is something I can control. But that urge in me to seek bigger and bigger uh, payoffs uh, caused me to get into these high-stakes games where I was usually the weakest player, and I was still losing, losing, losing. So one day, my daughter Jessica came out here to visit me. She lives back east, and she was uh, about to get engaged uh, to a wonderful young man who's now her husband and the father of my grandchildren. And she said, Dad, there are many things about you I admire and love, uh, but I'm really concerned about this gambling thing. And she said, you know, I'm getting married soon. I'm going to bring grandchildren into your life. And I would like you to ask yourself if this is the role model you want to be. And is this the way you want your life to be defined? If you should die at the poker table one night. And it was just such a, a sudden wake-up call for me. You know, we people of faith talk about having a come-to-Jesus moment. That was my come-to-Jessica moment. And at that moment, I knew that I wanted to live a more purposeful life 
and did not want my life to be defined by my reckless behavior as a compulsive gambler. And that was the beginning of my recovery. Wow, what a story. Well, we're going to go to break, and when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with ABC's award-winning journalist and weatherman Spencer Christian and his double life and his wake-up moral call. Hey, there's something new for you at the MentorsRadio.com website, a new special offers page. There you'll find unique offers available only to our listeners, you. For example, have you ever wondered if a career coach could help you get to the next level? Find out. For a limited time, a superb career coach is offering you a free session. The offers change all the time, so bookmark TheMentorsRadio.com. That's TheMentorsRadio.com. TheMentorsRadio.com. A lifetime ago, young naval aviator Tom McGuire took the oath of allegiance to support and defend the U.S. Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Now a San Francisco PD homicide inspector, McGuire hadn't thought about the oath in years, but that was all about to change. A famous local newspaper columnist had been murdered. For McGuire, there's an eerie chill of recognition about it, hearkening back to his days as a prisoner of war after being shot down in North Vietnam. A lifetime ago, another young naval pilot took that same oath. Also shot down in battle, he too spent time as a POW, same camp as McGuire. After 30 years, their lives were about to cross once again. But how and why after all these years? Multi-award winning mystery author Dennis Kohler's The Oath can be found online or for an autographed copy at oathbook.org. That's oathbook.org, oathbook.org. When a prospect like Sarah visits your website, will she engage with your content? Will your message be friendly? Will it be informative? Most important, will it build trust, like one friend to another? If not, go to betterwebsales.com and contact Catherine Andes. Catherine can freshen your website, plus drive more traffic with SEO, helping you turn visitors into customers. Start today. Go now to betterwebsales.com. That's betterwebsales.com. Do you want to make a living and live a meaningful life? Is it possible to be financially successful while making a positive difference in the world? Chris Lowney, author of the best-selling business classic, Heroic Leadership, and popular speaker on topics of leadership, corporate ethics, and decision-making, shares with you his 10 simple daily habits to building a better life and world, and how to implement them in his new book, Make Today Matter. Some of these habits include don't win the race, give away your sneakers, be more grateful, and control the controllables. Make Today Matter is a 2018 Distinguished Favorite Book in the Independent Press Awards and makes the perfect gift for anyone in a time of transition, graduating high school or college, beginning a new job, or entering retirement. No matter where you are in life, it is never too late to make today matter. Available everywhere books are sold. And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Tom Laurie. Today I have Spencer Christian as my guest mentor. You may remember him from his 13 years on Good Morning America. And for those lucky enough to be in Northern California, he's our top-rated weatherman on ABC7. So, Spencer, we've talked about your life, your mentors, your journey and uh, to Good Morning America, and then your double life. Uh, and there's more to life than that, I know. Yeah. So a yeah. couple of questions for you. One of the things, let's see so you have an interest in wine, and you did a show on uh, HGTV, I think it was, I right? I did, right. Tell so, us about that a little bit. Oh, I was at Good Morning America, and in the early to mid-90s, I received a call from someone with this new emerging uh, cable network called HG, HGTV, asking me if I had any interest in uh, hosting a program on wine appreciation because uh, they were aware from re- conversations they had uh, heard on, on Good Morning America that I had this interest in wine. So I said, sure. So I became the host of this show called Spencer Christian's Wine Cellar. And we would shoot segments at wineries uh, here in uh, in the U.S. and, and abroad. Uh, we did programs on food and wine pairing with chefs and winemakers. Uh, we did uh, programs on uh, how to build a relationship with a wine merchant. So if, if you're interested in wine, but you don't have uh, an, an encyclopedic knowledge, get a, a wine mentor <laughs> to help you um, along the path of learning about wine appreciation. So it was a, a it was a an exciting show to to 
host, and it lasted for about five years. Is it still available on the internet, on YouTube or something? Do you know? The, there are some segments on, on YouTube, yes. Um, I don't have the, the full collection of the five years' worth of shows. We did, I think we did 13 episodes each each year. Um, and uh, I think when I uh, when the show when the show's um, life on the air ended, uh, the parent company of HGTV Scripps Broadcasting bought me out of the contract, and the show was then distributed abroad in across Europe. I'm told. And thinking about your life and all the people you've met, your own mentors, if you were to share with somebody what the one thing is that you've seen in people that are truly happy with their lives, what would that one thing be? Wow. That's, that's a great question. I hope I can come up with a good answer on the spot. Um, most of the people I know who, what was the question? What, what, who so had truly, the people you've met, you've met a lot yeah, of people. Yeah, I have. We've yeah. met unhappy people, yeah. unhappy. Yeah. But there, is there a common thread that you've seen with the people that are truly at peace with life at and peace. happy? Yeah, yeah. I, well, the, yes, there is. There is a common thread. I've met people who are uh, wealthy and accomplished and famous who are happy, and, and many in, the, in, the, in those positions who are unhappy. But I've met many more people who live very modest lives and, and don't have wealth and fame and fortune who are very happy and at peace with themselves, at peace with life. In, in many cases, it's because uh, these people seem to recognize that life has a purpose, and, and they seem to have found a purpose in life, whether it's through their faith or through uh, serving a community or doing something they feel is useful and helpful to other people. Um, people who seem to be on, on that kind of path in life seem to have a sense of peace because they have a sense of purpose. And you're involved in some nonprofits or have been as well, right? Over the, Still are? Quite a few, yeah. yeah. Big Brothers, Big Sisters, uh, Make-A-Wish Make Foundation, American Cancer Society, Guide Dogs for the Blind, and several others. Uh, and I enjoy going out to, I, I'm also a great advocate of uh, children's literacy. So I love going into schools and reading to kids and helping to stimulate an interest in reading. And, and you've, you've written some children's books Yes, well, I have. Right? Yeah, a series of children's books under the broad title of uh, Spencer Christian's World of Wonders. Uh, there's one on weather. And and all the, the most unusual weather phenomena. It's called "Can It Really Rain Frogs?" <laughs> and there's one that uh, explains uh, all the science behind uh, earthquakes, volcanoes, and tidal waves. It's called "Shake, Rattle, and Roll." <laughs> well, we'll get Karen to post those on the website. So we're going to have to. We're out of time. It's oh. been a real pleasure uh, talking with you. Uh, we've been talking to Spencer Christian, who rose to fame on Good Morning America from humble beginnings. He has a book, You Bet Your Life. We'll post that on the website so you can go there and get that book, which is a great read about his life. Thank you very much, Christian, for sharing your valued time with us and my audience. If you tuned in late, you can listen to this and past shows by downloading podcasts by going to our website, thementorsradio.com. That's thementorsradio.com. When you are there, make it easy for yourself and subscribe to future shows. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back next weekend at the same time for the next edition of The Mentors Radio Show. Until then, this is Tom Laurie signing off for today. Remember to be all that you can be and keep the candle lit for all who struggle in the darkness. It's been The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. To get more information about the program or a sponsor, to download a podcast of today's show, or to leave a question for our host, go to TheMentorsRadio.com. That's www.thementorsradio.com. The preceding program, copyright CBJ, LLC. All rights reserved.